0: Today, the subject is Islam as an Abrahamic religion, as a monotheistic religion. And as you know, the way I like to look at these, I'm looking at the religions that we have done so far with a historical point of view. So what that means to start with is that we need to understand that Islam is a faith just like Christianity, just like Judaism. And it is believed by Muslims that it is a revealed religion. So you get into a sticky area if you begin to analyze a religion, as you know, when we were talking about Avram coming from Haran and finding all of these other Cultures and possibly adapting some of the cultures um, to, the, to formulate the Judaism that we know today. So I think we can pretty reasonably assume that Muhammad did have exposure to both Jews and Christians and that he adapted some of what he heard and the interactions that he had. Now, Someone who is a very strong believer that it is a revealed religion and the word came directly through Muhammad—that would—that's a totally different area, right? So we're all—we all understand that I'm doing this historically. So what? Um, I got my degree in this field in the 1970s, and Islam is not trendy at all. <laughs> um, it was people were basically what? And they had never heard of it. I thought it was very fascinating. Your but no, no, they didn't. As long as I wasn't a doctor, they didn't care after that. Um, but the reasons to study it now are really significant. And we should know as much as possible about who we're talking about. First of all, there are one and one half billion Muslims in the world today, it's the second largest religion in the world. And that's not just Middle East. That's Indonesia, that's Azerbaijan, that's all kinds of places that you don't even think about that have large Muslim populations, Chechnya. The words that you hear on the news every night, Sunni, Shiite, ISIS, ISIL, Caliphate, Jihad, Sharia, Al-Qaeda, even Mohammed, These are all words that are now much more part of the, certainly the news vocabulary, and a little bit in the debates. I don't think that the debates are going to address it much. So what we're going to learn about today is we're going to learn about the beginnings of Islam. We're going to learn a little bit about Muhammad, his life, his revelations, his death, a little bit about the spread of Islam, and so, guess where we're going to start? For those of you who haven't been in this class before, we always start with my favorite timeline. And the reason we're going to do this is because when I started a couple of weeks ago, we started with a Tanakh, which really did not get compiled until this area, but this is the time period BCE, before zero, that polytheism became monotheism. This is when Judaism was formulated. This line indicated the birth of Jesus and the year zero. And we know that Christianity, we discussed this last week, Christianity was really not put together as the basis of what we have today. Basis, not all the, all the different denominations, but the basis. It was not put together until around here. Okay. by the end of the first century, maybe maybe 150 CE. So we go along in our timeline, and look what's on the same timeline. The last in the uh, Abrahamic religions, we're going to start in the seventh century, which is around the year 600, 610, (coughs) with a man named Muhammad. We certainly know more about that history than we do about that and than we do about that. So that's helpful to us. But the main source that we are using as um, the historical fact is the Quran. And the Quran is because it is the Word of God as revealed to Muhammad, gives the version of the truth as it was brought, revealed to Muhammad in about the year 622. Okay? So, that's probably the last you're going to see of the timeline. Say goodbye to it. I think you have it on some other handout. Now we go to where it all... Yes? Um, I
1: don't know if this is something you're going to cover, but in that, between the establishment of Christianity, yes. or even going back to Don't follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you follow the other family. Right. Trace that all the way to Muhammad? Well, the the Quran does. The Quran does.
0: Yes. But it's, you know, it's listed, as you say, in the Torah, Isaac, Jacob, and then 20 generations down, and then Christianity does that too to get to the father of Jesus and then to Jesus himself. Muhammad doesn't do it by generations in the Quran. He does it um, in the sense that he's in the line of prophets. And the line of prophets is all the ones you know about already. Just as Christianity hearkened back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, and we saw that last year, last week, so, Islam incorporates all of those and all of these, which is really the main reason for the timeline. It's not so that you necessarily get a historical sense. It's so that you get the sense that these are the Abrahamic religions, one incorporating the next, incorporating the next. So we are in the Arabian Peninsula, not called Saudi Arabia until the early 20th century. But I want to show you the most important areas that we are going to deal with today. The first is the city of Mecca. And that becomes the center of all Islam towards the end of Muhammad's life. The second is a city that was called Yathrib. And I'm not sure that you can see it in the parentheses. But when Muhammad moved to Yathrib, it became the city of Mohammed. And city or state in Hebrew is Medina, right? Same in Arabic. So they changed the name of Yathrib to Medina. So now we know there's two cities that we've heard of, Mecca and Medina. The other area that is very important to our study is called the Hejaz. And that is the coastal route along the west coast of the Arabian Peninsula. Last week, we talked about the fact that Judea was right in the middle of being able to have um, merchants going up and down. It was in a very prominent location, right? I said they came through. If they wanted to come from the Roman Empire, they would go through here to go down here to go down here. Well, the route through the Arabian Peninsula was very unpleasant. Through here was it's all desert. The route of merchants was this way, and the predominance of merchants who were going up and down those roads were Jews. We're talking, again, 6th century CE. The Jews had actually lived in the Arabian Peninsula and in this area since the destruction of the first temple. And then after the Galut in 70 CE and Jews left everywhere, many came down here. It was profitable. There, It was, you know, you, you basically had camel rides and could... Um, do all of, your, all of your trading. So Muhammad, who we will see got involved with that, had no problem communicating with these people because that's who was going up and down, who was doing all the traveling and the, and the trade. The Arabian Peninsula itself was composed of Bedouin tribes. Tribalism is extremely important in the Arab world. In fact, the tribe comes before your own personality. It's part, you're part of a family. You're part of a tribe. Um, we, t- my husband and I just met a wonderful, wonderful girl from Jordan. She happens to be from a very prominent tribe in Jordan. And she said, there's four or five tribes in the city that I'm from. And that's how people are, in fact, connected to each other. And that's also what causes wars against each other or disputes or, you know, intermarriages between tribes, which would be a big thing. So let's talk about Mecca now, which as you see, Mecca is right on that route, ready to go. And what was in Mecca? It was a place called the Kaaba. The Kaaba is a very large box-like structure that we do not know the origin of. It housed before Muhammad many idols and people would make pilgrimages to the Kaaba before Muhammad to bring the um, offerings and it could go back a few thousand years. OK, very, that's very important for the year 2015. Um, I'll just throw in that ISIS wants to destroy the Kaaba. Why? Because they say it was built before Muhammad. OK, ISIS has a very limited view of Islam, a very limited chronological view of Islam. So Mecca was a point of pilgrimage and it also was controlled by very, very powerful tribes. I mean, you know, they were they were the, the the chiefs. They were they were in charge of everything. They were in charge of the religious piece of it and they were in charge of the economic piece of it. Sure. Yes.
1: The structure of that. Ooh.
0: Um, it's uh, five or six stories tall. Mm-hmm. And we're, I'm going to show you a picture of it. You'll get a better sense of that. And probably several hundred meters per side. It's huge. Um, I think last week, was it last week? Did I show you a picture? Of, no, I didn't. OK, of the, of the actual place where the kaba is. I will, I will show you that. But it's huge. Okay. So the, so this it was into this milieu that Muhammad was born. Muhammad was a real person. So let's start from there. Not in any way infallible, although today they would say he is. His name was Muhammad Ibn Abdullah. He was born in the year 570. 570. To the Quraysh tribe, which was the powerful tribe that controlled Mecca. Q U R A. Q-U-R-A, it's you know it's sounding it out, but Q U R A Y S H. Quraysh. Thank you. Quraish. There is no shrine to his place of birth. There is no plaque. There are no sites that worship him. Just like Moses. Moses died, disappeared someplace, Mount Nebo, is what we know. Um, And he performed no miracles. So let's just say, here's Muhammad. He was orphaned very, very young. He lost his father before he was born, and he was orphaned at age six when his mother died. He was taken in by an uncle. He was never taught to read and write, but as far as we know, he was very humble and wise, and people could trust him even at an early age. He became involved in commerce, this is commerce along the Hejaz, and became really good at it. He became a camel driver and then he became an overseer and was really good at business sort of a manager, and he um, came into contact with a lot of people while he was doing all of the, this work. In the year 595, when he was 25 years old, he met a woman named Khadija. And Khadija was a wealthy widow who was 15 years older than him, very wealthy, she controlled Some merchandising things. She controlled a lot of caravans. She hired him. That's how they met. And it was, he was the, she was the only one that he really loved his whole life. He had several other marriages, but she was it. And she was, the fact that he married a woman who was 40 when he was in his 20s, that he respected her, that they had such a strong marriage, we should hearken back to that when we hear about perversions of a religion that treat women unequally, because he would not have allowed that. Okay? There's no evidence in the Quran, it's interpretation from later. There's no evidence in the Quran about hijab. So it's interpretation later, it's like the oral law. So he married this woman, and let's take a look a little bit at, at their family tree, which we are going to come back to. Muhammad was, these are his parents who we really don't know and don't know anything about, and he married a woman named Khadijah. He also married later on, after Khadijah died, a woman named Aisha, who way later on, even after he's dead, Causes a lot of problems. We won't get into into her, but you probably heard that name every once in a while. People name their children Aisha. She was one of the wives of Muhammad. Muhammad and Khadija had one daughter who was the love of their life, plus three other surviving daughters, and not into adulthood. And that daughter's name was Fatima. Fatima was the love of his life. Certainly because it came from the product of their marriage. And later on, Fatima married a man who was also a cousin of Mohammed, same tribe, named Ali. OK, that's all you need to know about this. But you've heard some of these names before on some level, right? How long they married? Oh, she died probably, it was probably 20 years. Um, and a lot of his marriages, He and he, hmm? Oh, did it say to his stream. Okay. Um, so what Muhammad did, he was called in Arabic a Hanif, a seeker of knowledge, just like Abraham. Abraham who just didn't buy into polytheism and was sort of always wondering about what really was going on in the world and who created man. And this is what Muhammad did. So he would constantly be going off by himself meditating and, and fasting and praying. And one day he went out and he went into a cave near Mecca and he was suddenly visited by the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, who is a, an angel that pops up in both the Torah The Old Old Testament and the New Testament. Same angel. But the angel Gabriel said, recite in the name of the Lord who created man from a clot of blood who taught man what he did not know. Now this was a representative of God that was sent to talk to Mohammed. And as probably some of us would do, he completely freaked out. He ran back home. He ran to his wife. He said, cover me up. She wrapped him in a blanket. She said, calm down. Everything will be okay. You, you're you're going to need to go out again. Maybe this was real. And he's not prepared to do this. Now, this does speak to his humility. But it also speaks to a thing sort of like Moses, who really was not interested in being God's representative either. So his wife, Khadijah, encouraged him to continue listening to the angel, and so he went back out, and in trances, he would speak to this angel over and over again. And what the angel did was basically recite to him that there is one God, and that God is named Allah. Now, Allah is an amalgam of several of the names of gods that were worshipped in the Arabian uh, Peninsula. However, sort of like Elohim, which we described last week, and El that we described last week, Allah had had an existence. Now it was one god. It is the exact same god as in Judaism, Okay. I know it it feels uncomfortable, just a different name. Same God. Trust me. So he was given continuous revelations, and he began to convey those revelations to the people of Mecca. And in common fashion, a lot of people said, meh ravings of a lunatic we don't want anything to do with him in the meantime a scribe was writing everything that he was being told down to keep track of all of the revelations he was illiterate to the extent that he could not do that kind of writing he was good businessman but it didn't include writing is the first convert that he made who believed in him the best and the most was his wife, Khadija. She, she became the first Muslim convert. Ali was one of the first afterwards. This man, Abu Bakr, very, very, very close friend and confidant of Muhammad and is also called one of the first Muslims. And here is what Muhammad was preaching, besides the fact that there was only one God. He said, the old monotheistic religions, the one given to the Jews in Hebrew, the one given to the Christians in Greek or Aramaic, had been corrupted. The Jews didn't abide by their rules. The uh, Christians didn't abide by their rules. It was now up to Mohammed to reveal the last chance for all mankind to listen and obey one god. He called himself the last of the prophets, or the seal, S-E-A-L, seal of the prophets. He uh, proclaimed that there was one god, this time it's not in Hebrew, it's not in Greek, it's in Arabic. He said you must surrender to God's will, and then you will find peace. And hence the shoresh, the root of the word islam, which is submission to God. Same root, shin lamed mem, sin lam mem. Salaam, shalom, almost written identically. The, the scene has three little loops, the, mem, the meme has looks. Yes, okay. So same shoresh, same root, same word. By the year 613, he began to preach openly. But because he was collecting, sort of like Jesus, he was collecting a following, and that gives you power. And the people who are in power, the people who were the Quraysh in Mecca, were not so happy about this um, preaching that he was doing. But basically, he spent the rest of his life preaching that there was one God, and there was a moral aspect as well, and that was to be kind to the poor and the downtrodden. Yes? What religion were they practicing
1: at the
0: time? Polytheism. Polytheism. There were many gods, little statues throughout. Mm -hmm. And what he, he used the name of one of them. Uh, He used is not, that implies uh, something. But the one of the names was Allah. And that's the one that was the one god that he believed in. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of um, of a timeline for Muhammad's, not so long life, and it is in your handouts, so you don't have to memorize it for the test right now. Okay, what was he preaching? He was preaching there was one God, and therefore he was rejecting idolatry. He was preaching giving tzedakah, almsgiving. Why why is that kind of noteworthy? And be kind to the poor and the widowed and the orphaned. Because he himself was an orphan. He taught that there was a heaven and hell. He taught that God was the ultimate judge. He believed that the revelations that he was telling people were the exact identical revelations that were revealed to Moses and Abraham and Jesus. Elijah makes an appearance, Joseph makes an appearance. All of these people who are in the other books, he is claiming legitimacy because he is just the next one. His goal was to relay God's wishes on earth. It was not to be deified. He just wanted to proclaim that there is one religion and that this is humanity's last chance. So now we're going to go on a trip with him. In the Quran, it talks about a time. It was an evening where Muhammad was still living in Mecca. And at night, he took a night journey. He had to go on a very large winged horse named Barak, which means lightning. And he flew on this night journey to Jerusalem. How interesting that Jerusalem shows up in the Quran like that.
1: Never, never he, the, Quran.
0: the night journey is mentioned in the Quran. Is it named
1: Jerusalem?
0: It is named, yes. No. I think it is.
1: No. I believe Kedar uh, was an interview by Al-Jazeera. Yeah. And if you ask him, what about Jerusalem and the Quran? Right. And Kedal and Dursed in Belgrade, it's not in the Koran. Well, it may. Uh, it, I, I think
0: the name is the mountain. Okay. And, the, and the mountain they are referring to yeah. is yeah. Har Moria. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he goes up onto that mountain. Same, okay, according to this, okay. same place. Does it say Maria? Oh, yes. Although Maria, I've done research on that too, and they're not even sure where that is. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right, right. So if they're not sure where that is, but if we're going to go on the assumption that the Jewish people believe that Har Maria is where the, the Holy of Holies was, this is where he went. Okay? Again, thinking maybe he got some of this from the people he was um, in association with. And there's a supplemental writings, by the way, about things that he said after the Quran is written down that clarify some things. But anyway, he went to the mountain, and from the mountain he was taken up to visit God. He was taken to visit, it was called the furthest mosque is where he traveled, and he went and spoke to Moses and to Jesus and finally had a, an audience with God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, on the way home, it was time to go back to Mecca. And so in order for him to go back, he had to get on this horse again, which is a rather large horse and pretty sturdy. And the horse has to give a big, hard shove into the ground in order to leap up into the air, right? The horse left a big footprint on the top of the rock. There's the footprint. Okay. About 25, 30 years after the death of Muhammad, one of his successors decided, certainly it was a holy place, that he had taken the night journey from here up to heaven to build a shrine on the rock hence the dome of the rock i was lucky enough to be in there in the 70s before nourish Kayak happened it looks like a footprint you, you too. It, it looks like a horse's footprint mm-hmm. i mean if you okay if you think of it that way i also want to show you something because it's so in the news today The Dome of the Rock is one portion of the greater mosque, the greater haram, that is the Temple Mount. And I just wanted to show you this because of all the service that is going on in the last three weeks and the Jews are going to take it away from the Palestinians, et cetera, et cetera. The haram is all of this, okay? It's not just this mosque which was built after Muhammad. It's not just the Dome of the Rock, which is a mosque, but it's not where the main prayer takes place. It's really more of a shrine to the rock. Here's the hotel. Here's where, I mean, there's gardens, and there's lots and lots of buildings. That's the haram they're talking about. And there was a video on YouTube where a woman who was Christian went up, I don't know, I think she was in here, she was on a very pretty walk through the trees. And she was stopped by some uh, Palestinian, actually guards from the Waqf, which is the priestly organization under the control of the Jordanians that oversees this area. And they said to her, you're on the mosque. And she said, we're on the walk, we're just right here. And they said, no you are on in the holy area. So that's how they consider this. So they're not just saying, please do not send Jews up this little road up here to head for here, which they're not allowed to do anyway in religious Jews because the holy of holies could be anywhere here and you don't want to step on it. right? So ultra-Orthodox people are not allowed to do that. and. That's what the Haram looks like today. Um, it's got the Maghrabi de- uh, Gate. It has the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is the ramp leading up there. There is the Kotel. Yes? But that
1: was well, that's the rock upon which Isaac was to be sacrificed
0: also. Or Ishmael. Yeah, but
1: well, the horse leapt.
0: Or the horse leapt the 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 rock has to do with the horse Mount Moriah wherever it may have been which it's considered in Judaism to be here and Muhammad was in contact with Jews all the time right so that's where the sacrifice of Ishmael took place as well
1: they say, yes. The folk of God, Did it, does that, is it written something about his facing him or not facing him face to face? Is the book the same thing like Moses? I've no, I have not
0: I have not dug into the night journey enough to be able to answer that. Mm-hmm. I don't so, know.
1: Um, what would be
0: I don't know. I this one was recommended. This one was recommended to me in terms of the translations. Yeah. This one was recommended to me. Um, I have three at home. Some of them, some of them are in easier English, and some of them do not have Arabic in it at all. This has Arabic in it. I mean, well, you don't need it, but your daughter-in-law could read it to you. Um, okay, so this is um, done in Lahore. Actually, it was done in Ohio, but the printing company, the printing company is from Lahore, Pakistan. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'll let you look at this whole thing because it's a lot of, a lot of words and descriptions. Okay, so does that make the whole um, Haram thing muddied? That means that there's, a, means there's bad weather coming. all that for a watch. Yeah, okay, it'll go so. Okay. So, now what we have to do is see what else Muhammad did. Muhammad began to make enemies in Mecca. We'd like to make it into a religious kind of situation, but it really wasn't. It was a power struggle. He had a lot of followers, the Quraysh, the people that were in power they weren't happy about it and there's tribal issues and pretty soon they forced Muhammad out of Mecca now why is that significant he went from Mecca to Medina or to Yathrib where he was welcomed and he really got a lot of followers the year was 622 this was called the hijra or the um, uh, the flight okay he had to flee Mecca and go to the welcoming arms of all the tribes in Yathrib which then became known as Medina significant this date 622 CE now I'm going to really confuse you is the year 0 for the Muslim calendar. That's when the dates of Islam begin. And the dates that they're, just like we are in 5,700, right? They are A-H, after the Hijra, And we are in the year 1437, A-H. And by the way, the Muslim calendar is lunar. So you say so is ours, right? No, they don't have any leap years. They don't have an Adarshaini. They never catch up with themselves. So every year, because it's a lunar calendar, their holidays are a month, a month and a half backwards. They just, it, they continue back. That's why sometimes you will find that you have a hajj in pretty good weather and sometimes you will have the Hajj in very hot weather and sometimes you will have Ramadan which is a month of fasting in Egypt in July right and sometimes you'll have it in February okay so it the the calendar never catches up with itself because it's all based on a 28 or 29 day moon so we are very lucky because otherwise we would be having Pesach in I don't know, October or something. It's the same sort of thing. So Muhammad gained a tremendous number of followers while he was in um, Yathrib, or now Medina, we'll call it. He gained a lot of followers, and he continued skirmishes with the people in Mecca. So there were a lot of wars back and forth, and that was normal. It had nothing to do with religion, per se. It was really tribal. And there were Jews. In Medina. And we won't go into it now because there's still too much to talk about, but there were some incidents during wars with the people of Mecca that Muhammad decided the Jews had turned against him and began to make proclamations against the Jews in the Quran because of. He said that they were spying, whatever. Simultaneously, he said, respect them. They're the same as we are. They believe in the same gods. They believe in the same prophets. There is a duality, which we will get into next week or the week after, about how they regard people of the book. Because it's the same God. And it's the same tenets. And it's the same moral basis. So there's both in the Quran. There's respect to the people who believe in one God, Jews, Christians, and there's these people were traitors. So make war against them. So depending on who you ask in 2015, if somebody has more of a propensity to want to pull out a a quote from the Quran that's anti-Jewish, they can do it. If somebody wants to pull out a quote that says they're monotheistic, let's get along with them. We are told by the Prophet to get along with them. They can do that too. Okay, it's very, it's, it's a little schizophrenic. Okay, so Muhammad finally returned to Mecca as the winner. He really, he had the followers. He controlled um, all of the pilgrimages that went to Mecca, that went to the Kaaba he became a political leader and a spiritual leader with tremendous tremendous people numbers of people following him he preached the a moral and righteous life and he preached that if you need to defend your beliefs in battle you must struggle and that word is jihad defend your beliefs is jihad. It's a spiritual commandment, not necessarily a war commandment. Again, can be interpreted different ways, but a lot of scholars believe the word jihad is a struggle within a person to get themselves to believe the right way. So in the year 630, Muhammad arrived in Mecca and in, consecrated the Kaaba for Allah. It is no longer pagan. And then in 632, he died. We don't know where he's buried. There's no shrine. There's no location. We, he did not want to be worshipped now the problem was he had this entire um he had this entire kahal basically and he had um is from um it's the same word he had this this group of people and they needed some leadership to carry on what he was saying so the first person that became a successor to muhammad was his very good friend and one of the first converts that he ever had abu Bakr. now muhammad was called the messenger of god and in arabic that's called rasulallah messenger of god messenger of allah rasulallah that was muhammad's name he died so the next person to be the logical person and People who were in the inner circle chose Abu Bakr to succeed him. And his name was, he was going to be called the successor to the messenger of God. Or the Khalifat Rasulallah, the successor to the messenger of God. He died pretty young, fairly quickly after Muhammad did. So the next person that the group of followers around Muhammad chose was a man named Umar. He had been appointed before this man's death, and he was going to be called the Khalifat, Khalifat Rasulullah. Right? I mean, that makes sense, right? The successor to the successor of the messenger. However, they shortened that to the word Khalif, or in English we sometimes hear it as caliph. And that root, as Islam spread and somebody was ruling Islam, it became the caliphate, which you're hearing on the news because the Islamic State proclaimed a caliphate. We'll get to that. Following Umar, Uthman was again elected by a community. So far, I want you to notice, if you remember back, not one relative, there was nothing hereditary going on here. It was the community that was making the selection of what the, who the best leader should be. The community and the sort of chief advisors, the, the people that had surrounded Mohammed, the next guy that had been a close advisor who was asked to be the Khalifa, 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 Rasulallah, or the fourth Khalif, <laughs> was Ali. He had, was married to Fatima, the daughter. So he was a son-in-law of Muhammad, and he became the Khalif. But there were other groups that didn't think he should get it because he, it was hereditary. They thought it should be selected by the group of elders. He was assassinated in the city of Kufa. And his son, he had two sons, Hassan was um, elected, but then he was convinced, bribed, not to um, take the job. And then his brother, Hussein, was given the job. And when his son, brother Hussein was given the job, he was assassinated himself. I have written, I think this is on the handouts as well.
1: These to a grandson? Yes, grandsons of Muhammad.
0: End of the line, by the way. Yes? I think
1: that he was assassinated. What's going on that's causing?
0: Power struggle. I mean, the, the, well, Umar, Umar wasn't. He died pretty young. He did. 643. 643. Um, yeah, he might have been. These were contenders to the, for power. Okay, so now here's what you have. You have Muhammad. I'm going to go through the, the genealogy here. And he married Khadija. And they had Fatima. And they had some other daughters. You don't really hear about them. Fatima married Ali and he became the fourth caliph. Right? I just described that how that happened. Their son, they had two sons, Hassan and Hussein. Hassan which is interesting because if you see the word Hussein, you you have to think twice about whether they're that side of um, Islam or not. Hassan bin Ali died in 670. His brother, Hussein bin Ali, died in the year 680. And then there was a fight for control of the Muslims, which there were a lot of them by then. They had conquered all of the the Arabian Peninsula. They had gone into Jerusalem. Uthman was into Jerusalem. They had conquered Damascus. It was a very, very quick tribal wars, very large empire growing, and there were fights among the leaders. Now, that's a very logical, that happens everywhere. It happens in, throughout history no matter what the country. However, it became a subject of dispute who should really be in control of the Muslim community. Should it be a descendant of Muhammad, or should it be somebody picked by the rest of the the Uma, the um the leadership the leadership won out there were civil wars like crazy there was a there was a man who called himself a Khalif, whose name was muawiya she who had been the wife of Muhammad, got on the side of the opposition. But others said Hussein was a martyr, and as such, we need to follow him. And so we are going to call ourselves the party of Ali, right? Shi'at. Ali or Shiites that's where the split took place right there in the seventh century now when the split took place with the people on one side who called themselves Sunni why because the Sunnah is the law and that's the way they chose to be known as the people who followed the law. The people who were the following in the party of Ali said it needs to be hereditary. And they, their splits, as the splits took place, and of course, Sunni Islam also broke into a lot of different pieces. Everybody who was a scholar said, well, this is how to interpret it. That happens with everything. But the party of Ali also adapted a lot of mystical things. They adapted a lot of um, other religions into to the point that Sunni Islam and Shia Islam are extremely different. They have the same base, but their, their prayers are different. Their, their mosques are different. Their shrines are different. I'll give you an example. There was a lot of, by the time Ali became the Khalif and then his sons, Hassan and Hussein, it was taking place in this area now in Iraq, okay? And the assassination of Hussein, which was very brutal, and then somebody, after he was killed, chopped his head off and put it up on a post so everybody could see it. So he was really a martyr. That took place in Karbala, city of Karbala. You might have heard it referred to. I don't know. I'm very aware of it. This is the mosque in Karbala, and this is where Hussein was buried. Also, before we get to my map, I'll give you a, one example of how they're different. The party of Ali, Shi'at Ali or Shia, have very different rituals. And on the day of Hussein's Yartzeit, <laughs> which is the 10th of the month of Ashura, they flagellate themselves, which just happened about a week and a half ago there was a the holiday or the fast day for them, and they literally take big metal things and draw blood, and they walk through the streets. And you will see that in Iran, but you'll see it in places like Bahrain, which is mostly Shia. It's ruled by Sunnis, but it's mostly Shia. It's brutal. It's nasty stuff. Okay, but let's see how complicated our friends the Islamic State are. The Islamic State is only Sunni all you need to know about them, I mean, for now. So here's a map that was came from the Daily Mail in May, so six months ago, and I just wanna show you why I hold my head in my hands and turn to my husband and go, oh crap, now it's really gonna blow up, because this is Iraq. This part of Iraq is Shia, And not only is it Shia, and this is Iran right here, right? (laughs) Everyone knows that, and it makes sense. So all these places are Shia. Saddam Hussein was Sunni. They were very happy to get rid of him. Then Shia people came in and took over the government. Here is where the Islamic State came and they took over the city of Ramadi, which we as Americans were very upset about because there was a huge battle for the United States yeah. to take Ramadi from the, um, the terror, from the Al-Qaeda people, and we finally got them, and this is the city that the Iraqi army was going to defend, and then they turned and ran. Okay? So the Islamic State controls Ramadi, which is this far from Karbala, they're Sunni. (coughs) These people are Shia. The Islamic State, everywhere they go, they're basically destroying everything, right? They're destroying um, tombs. They're destroying Palmyra. They're destroying, well, they would really love to destroy anything having to do with Shia Islam. And when they're heading this way, towards Karbala, towards Anajaf, where Ali is buried, towards Kufa, which is very close to here, where Ali was assassinated, now we're getting into really nasty, nasty territory. Yes? You know, Saudi Arabia, for example, is Sunni, right? So as far as they're not worried about this stuff, they would just as soon turn the other way for Shia. There are, in fact, a lot of Sunnis in Syria, and that's on the way to Saudi Arabia, and that makes them a little bit more nervous. So what will it take? You know, I, uh, four months ago I couldn't have told you that Russia would drop in, right? I, I, I have no idea. I'm not an international relations person. I just know that these are, uh, I, I don't know how to say, I don't know how to say flashpoint in, a, in bigger letters, you know? It's one thing for them to start capturing Towns that are Shia, it's another thing for them to start destroying holy, holy, holy centers for the Shia. Okay?
1: And what are the
0: because, I, I'm sorry, here's what would happen. Iran, pretending to stay out of it, they're there. Right? In one second. Because Iran's all Shia. Okay? So, then all hell breaks loose, even though it has loose. Right? No. So, okay, so there, were no descendants at all. there were no descendants. However, there were some descendants of Muhammad that the Shia some of the Shia believed there were and that had gone into hiding. And some of the sects of Shia Islam are waiting for them to come out of hiding. Still. Still. The Druze are a form of one of the sects of Shia Islam. Assad in Syria, who is a Shia in a in a Sunni country, he's an Alawite. They're also waiting for um, an occultic type of figure to come. Back to return a messianic kind of a figure to come back. So it becomes Shia. Shia Islam is very complicated, and it broke off into all kinds of the, the Twelvers and the Seveners and the Ismailis, and it, it's very, very complicated, depending geographically on where they were.
1: Yes. So the Islamic State is only destroying
0: the Shia. Well, they're destroying. The, the Islamic State essentially says that we believe in anything that happened during the time of Muhammad and in the first 60 years or so following Muhammad. Okay, That's the only thing that's legitimately Muslim. Anything else from before or after, no go. I mean, certainly they're against Shi- Shiites, so that goes without saying. But something like these tombs that had been blown up, or Palmyra, which is an ancient city, it's pagan. It's secular. It's, yes, well, right. So it's
1: Hezbollah Yes. And Hamas Sunni. Sunni. And the, Pal- the Palestinians in Israel. Or Sunni.
0: Are. Yep. This, they're Sunni because they're, there, because if you think about the geography of it, where Israel is now, it was really part of Transjordan. That whole area was Sunni. And there's one little section above, north of Lebanon that is a Shia area where Assad is from. Okay, they, the reason that Hezbollah which is Shia, is supporting Assad in Syria is because he's a Shia. But most of the rebels in Syria are Sunni and just want to get rid of him. Got it, sort of? (laughs) What? Sunni. Sunni, Sunni. But some of the UAE, um, like Bahrain, for example, uh, those some of those are Shia. Yes.
1: Number-wise, it pretty even. No, the Sunni
0: is by far way in the majority. Pardon? They're Sunni.
1: If, if Syria is Sunni, how did?
0: Except for him, yeah.
1: yeah how did he get the power? <laughs>
0: Well, his father got the power first, and they were um, helped along by some of the European powers. but also the Alawites were very powerful and put themselves into power alawites if i, I I'm pointing like you, I have a map here, and i don't, but the Alawites are an area, it's a mountainous area almost the coast of Syria but very far north and that's a stronghold for Assad's people even now, even now. is that a tribe there? yes but it's a sect also of Shia Islam so yeah. yes if, all right,
1: if Sunni follows the law right in the Quran the law Of women. Right.
0: And, right. I mean,
1: you know, it, it
0: makes no sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. If you go specific, only from this, You would be it would be like being in Judaism, a Karaite. You would only believe in this, nothing else, right? However, following Muhammad's death, uh, they first collected and wrote down um, something called the Hadith, which are the sayings of the prophets. So that becomes like the oral law that became okay that became binding and then the sunnah is a word for all of the law but if a Shiite person was interpreting it they would have their you know it's Orthodox and was conservative and reform and reconstructionist and
1: Yes. So the, the Denomination. Of the law is yes. Very confusing. Yes. Whereas the Quran is in Arabic. I mean, it is. Right. Arabic. And so it, it shouldn't be misinterpreted.
0: No, it shouldn't accept that. As soon as you got a scholar who was looking at the Torah and then combining it with the oral law, then they came out with very lengthy arguments in the Mishnah, right? this on the one hand it's this on the other hand it's this and some people follow that and some people follow a different one same thing in Islam okay so so the sayings of the Prophet the Hadith became law or became the in the writings the Sunnah is the way of the Prophet but it got interpreted different as soon as the split happened there were religious scholars, and I am going to use that word seriously, religious scholars who interpreted it according to its roots, which was either Shia or Sunni. Hence, for example, the, here's the easiest thing. If you take the Islamic State, they're saying the only thing that we believe in is going up to about the year 680 or 700. That's where their interpretation stops. There's plenty of legal scholars in England now still interpreting. Right, the other word I want to make sure you understand is sharia. Ooh, scary law, right? Sharia <laughs> is halacha. You take the, you take the, the Tanakh. And you, or the Torah, you extract 613 commandments, then you have elaborations on that. That's the law. So when you go to a religious court and you have to be adjudicated to get a get, that's halakha, that's the basis of that, right? It's the same with Sharia. Sharia is just the religious law. You can be a Muslim in the United States of America. You can abide by Sharia law when it has to do with religion, and you abide by secular law when it doesn't. So for somebody, and I forget who it was, which is fine with me, who said they have to give up Sharia law in order to be president if they're Muslim, well, that's crazy. I mean, you just, it's not even relevant. Okay, let's go on to a couple more things because we're almost out of time. Our friend Hamza, mm-hmm. right? Sh- Shiite. What are you talking about, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad, Fatima, Ali, Hassan, Hussein. The Shia. Um, Symbolism, which was carried throughout Shia areas, got sort of picked up into the culture, and now we all wear them around our necks. but it is also it, its origin is in Shia Islam. Hamza letter it's the word for five. Hamesh, five. Yes.. Yes, and so what it did is evolved after that into protection by these holy people over you.
1: It's like,
0: five in your eyes. Five in your eyes. Right. <laughs> yes.
1: So, in back, this is so if Iraq is Shia. And it's,
0: it's three things. It's Sunni on the northwest it's Shia and the, the southeast well, and, and it's Kurdish it's, it's predominantly, is predominantly Shia. I you know,
1: think wait, wait, wait I didn't mean I didn't mean Iraq. I okay. mean Iran. Shia, Shia. I, so if I, Iran is Shia yeah. and the Arab Jews are Sun why why do they Iran support Hamas why is that are like sworn in? Why is Shia
0: Well a couple of reasons. Number one they have been supplying Hamas um, I wasn't. I, I didn't. It's not based on religion. It's based on a desire to destroy Israel. That's the, uh, Muhammad Fatima Ali, Hussein Hassan Hassan Hussein. It's the five, you know, sort of trinity of of Shiism, right? So, so they want to destroy Israel because Israel is on. Muslim land, not Palestinian land I'm talking about historically speaking. Who are these Jews to be sort of plopped right in the middle of where the Islamic empire was? So they they are supplying weapons to Hamas, yes, who are Sunni, but they also have threatened Israel with, you know, obliteration. So that's a really good reason not to like them. <laughs> Even though there were 50,000 Jews living in Iran until the Shah left, until 1979 when the Iranian Revolution happened, 50,000 Jews. Now they're all, they're now in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. <laughs> really? They uh,
0: left all of them? There's, uh, there's, I want to say there's 15,000 there now, and they are respected, and one of them is a member of parliament because. Respect the people of the book. Okay, so they are respected. They are left alone. They will tell you that they are left alone. Um, Every once in a while, you'll hear somebody is an Israeli spy. It doesn't happen very much, and they do have synagogues there, but the people with money in in 1979, 1980, got out because they could see where it was going, and they were allowed to take their money, and... They went to New York and to Los Angeles, and some went to Israel. But I it's very I mean, there's entire Persian suburbs outside of Los Angeles. Okay, let's go a little bit further. The five pillars of Islam. In order to be a Muslim, here's what you have to do: what you are required. You have to state the statement of faith, which is that you believe in one god and Muhammad is his prophet. I think I have it on one of your handouts. Mm-hmm. You have to pray 5 times a day, fasting during the month of Ramadan, pilgrimage is making the Hajj is making a pilgrimage to the city of Mecca, and giving charity. These 5 things are required of a good Muslim. The Shahada, the Islamic creed is There is no God but God, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. Now, if I stop it, there is no God but God. It is the Shema. So the only thing that they're adding is that Muhammad is his messenger, and it doesn't make him divine. It just makes him a prophet. Right? Okay, the Hajj, if I can get this to work. Sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. The Hajj starts in, actually it starts in Mecca and then they go to Medina and then they go north a little ways. Sometimes I can get this to work and sometimes, no, I can't. Okay, so these are are people milling about on the inside to go around the Kaaba. And there was a very, very excellent PBS special on the pilgrimage called the Hajj. Um, Jews are not allowed in Mecca. No, no non-believer is allowed in Mecca. So if somebody is going to go there and make a documentary, they have to be Muslim. But there's a lot of people that have done that and have brought cameras in, and we get a very good sense of what goes on in the Hajj. The, where you saw the Kaaba, there is a massive 10-football stadium-size um, mosque, that has all kinds of stops that they make. And the, the Saudi government has to accommodate several million people who all come at once. Okay. Is
1: it
0: we, the Kaaba right no, that's the outside of the, of the um, uh, that's the area around the Kaaba. We have holidays
1: for pilgrimage, can they do their pilgrimage? Yes, any
0: other time also. Yes, but there is a month of pilgrimage that the bulk of them will attempt to go. And so what the Saudi government has done is it's trying to accommodate as best they can. They have, um, they have beefed up their infrastructure so that when, when, when you're looking at this, and, you're, and this is, by the way, not, not during the month that they do the hajj, this picture. So there's space between people. Okay? But when there isn't, They're jammed together, but there's also a row of people around here making a circumnavigation. There's another row of people higher up making a circumnavigation. They have have tried to, it's still person to person. And the area where the 1,600 people were killed um, a couple months ago, there were three or four levels that they were able to go on to try to ease that traffic. of of human bodies. so, um, And they have tents outside the city where, when one of the parts of the hajj is performed, they accommodate with tents, except for the rich people. They they are. I mean, let me tell you that I've met somebody who actually went on the five-star hajj, and she, (laughs) her she and her family stayed in a hotel, and you know they were driven places instead of necessarily. I mean, they still made the circumnavigation, but they were not necessarily in the crowds. So you can, there's you know, there's inequality everywhere. So
1: other than that month, is it just a place to go and pray? Then
0: it would be, it could be called a pilgrimage if you if you do it. But yes, you and there's people that have that go a lot. But the mandated is to do it at least once. During that
1: month?
0: Yes. During your lifetime, during your lifetime okay. preferably during the, the month is called al-Hijjah, which is the month of the hajj. Do people just stand there? They go around seven times. seven. Uh, seven times.
1: You just walk
0: all around? There. Right. The problem is that it's easy to say to walk around a building size square but when when it's there's no room to actually move and so if you try oh my goodness my friend is you know two people up and try to get to them you can't get to them and if you try you might fall and if you fall people will just walk over you and that's how that's how they died was um it wasn't a stampede so much as it was people suffocating i mean they they're just and the saudi government gets blamed Big time by Iran, which is, we would understand that, but they, uh, this time we're accusing uh, Saudi Arabia of lying about the numbers of people killed and that it was really double the number and so.
1: So whether you're Sunni or Shiite, you hit Yes. You go.
0: You go. go. Yes, because this is all Muhammad. There's one area, we were talking about Hagar two weeks ago and... The majority of the people here felt sorry for her. So what she does in the Quran is she is running back and forth between two hills looking for water for her son Ishmael, who's going to die in the desert. And part of the hajj is literally to run, even though these two big rocks, these mountainous kind of rocks, are within a mosque, people have to go back and forth and back and forth to remember, to commemorate Hagar's looking for water for her son Ishmael, okay? And there's a well within this mosque that is the well that rescued Ishmael and his mother Hagar. And you can drink out of it, and they bottle water for it, and you can take some home. Right? And it says, well of them them water on the outside. Okay. let's. We're going to finish up. I don't want to keep you here so late. Okay, here's the similarities of early Islam and Judaism. The worship of only one God. In the beginning, the direction of prayer was to Jerusalem because of the night journey that Muhammad took. Later, he changed it to Mecca. In the Quran, one Bible story after the other. There are links to the prophets, Ishmael, Abraham, I don't think Isaac is mentioned. Um, most of them are from the Old Testament because most of the people that Muhammad met were Jews. But Jesus is in the, the Quran. The fast of Asherah is the same as the 10th of Tishrei, which is... Yom Kippur. So it's supposed to be a fast, but it became under the Shiites the... And it maybe it happened that day, too, but it was um, the day of the assassination of Hussein. And so they're remembering, they're remembering that. And it says, by the way, Believers, fasting is decreed for you, this is talking to Muslims, as it was decreed for those before you, us. Okay. See, the link, everything is built on everything else. No pork, no blood in animals. Meat may not be from animals that die by themselves. Guess how they're killed. Same way. They have to you have to say a prayer before saying that God is great and then cut their necks. And therefore, most orthodox Muslims will accept kosher meat as halal meat, because it is prepared the same way. Why don't we, um, I, we have a lot of, we have a, a number of steps with the animal and everything prior to the, prior to the killing. OK, prayer was at, at first three times a day, and then it changed to five
1: they allow slaughtering on the Sabbath, on do they have a if they don't have
0: a Sabbath. Friday is a day of congregational worship. So
1: there's the main reason. They yes. slaughter
0: animals on the Sabbath.
1: They can slaughter, slaughter whenever they want.
0: I think they can slaughter whenever they want to, but um, I'm not sure of what their rules are about the animal being watched by somebody prior to its death and how it goes. You know, I think that we may be more strict. Um and so, but I, I know Muslims that have eaten kosher meat and felt absolutely no problem with it because it really coincided with halal. Um, ablutions before prayer. When you see people going into mosques, you see them, there washing themselves. That's exactly what happened before people went into the temple. And very important is tzedakah in, um, in Islam. And by, finally, there is a day of judgment. Okay, so, by the end of 100 years after Muhammad died, this was how far Islam had spread. Amazing. All the way into Spain, you knew that, right? Almost heading for the rest of Europe, they were stopped. but. All of here, remember where it started? By the end of Mohammed's life, he had pretty much conquered the Sinai Peninsula. But then the caliphs that, that followed him? No, Damascus, Jerusalem, Baghdad. And these were all major cities of the caliphate. And then it split up into different caliphates. So there was one guy who ruled here and a different sort of opposing one there and another one in Baghdad because there were wars. There, there were tribes and countries, et cetera. So the way I like to end this is on an up note, okay? Because Islam, lamb, that's the meme, it's the same shore Okay, any questions? I think we've asked a, heads are gonna explode now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: that's Thank, you Thank you very much.
0: much. You're How welcome. You use this? Pardon? You Pardon? You no, nope, I've got more. <laughs> Sorry.